everyone. Welcome back to the Creative Soul Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Creative Soul Podcast. I have been... Hello, hello. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Creative Soul Podcast. I am inspired to get on the mic today and share the truest story of my life in this moment. Something I have been unpacking and uncovering in the last year or two, and especially in the last year going to therapy, which I know I have mentioned on this podcast, but I haven't really gotten into the specifics of what I was really going through. Um, I think I shared a little bit here and there, but I want to kind of tell the truest story of my life in this moment. And I was inspired to kind of just record and to kind of come on the mic and share this um, for a couple reasons. One is I have been the truest story of my life. So I want to share the truest story of my life. And it's funny, I started recording this and I had an issue with my mic, which has never happened before. Um, But then I solved it and then I've been recording on GarageBand and this error keeps coming up saying that there's too much info to process. So I don't know if that's a sign that this is not the right time for me to share this story or if I can just dive in and see what happens. So I'm going to keep recording and share. I think if anything, this episode is really a chance for me to process and to process out loud. And I think it is so helpful when people process out loud so that we can see that as a kind of way to do that ourselves. I mean, the whole reason I even sat down to record this episode right now is because I just listened to a podcast episode um, from this girl I follow on Instagram called Brooklyn Brooklyn Bosworth, and she just shared an episode called Hot Girls Go to Therapy, and she really shared about some of the things she's been working on, and it inspired me to share a little bit more deeper into my journey about what I've been uncovering this past year and the truest story of my life and some of those patterns that I've been uncovering through this really, really intense year of deep internal work. Really deep internal work, the deepest internal work I've ever done before. And it's been really extremely challenging. It's been hard. It's felt like depression at times. It's felt like no motivation. I just felt I've been feeling lost really for this whole year because I feel like my purpose and my direction has been kind of muddled or And my reality, the reality that I thought I knew has been totally broken down. And I'm in that space floating between not really knowing which way is up, which way is down, all the things that I thought I knew, all the things that I thought I wanted, all the things that I thought who I was are not true anymore. And so I've been in this process of rediscovery, of finding out who I really am and being a lot more gentle with myself. And gentle in a way I really have never been before. Gentle... Um, to really not do as much. I've always been a very like motivated, go, 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 focused individual. But as I'm discovering throughout my journey that a lot of that is um, survival mechanisms and not really the truth of who I am. So I want to start with, that's kind of like how how this all came to be. And I want to just take you through the, st- the truest story of my life that, that it exists in this moment. And I think there is so 
there is something so healing in sharing your story. And I don't think I really shared a full picture of my story of where I come from, what made me me since the very first episode of this podcast, since the intro episode. And it's so funny to kind of listen back to that episode now because who that is so, you know, that me operating from that person that I thought I was and not who I really am. So it'll be really interesting to hear how different this comes off or how different this story is told. And this is just my perspective. Right. If I told, you know, ask someone else in my family to share their story of my life, it would be a completely different story because we all have our different perspectives. We all have our different point of views, which is beautiful. And so nothing I say is against anyone else. It's not blaming anyone. It's not saying that, you know, they should have done this better. It's just truthfully how I can share. And how can I express my truth? Because that is one thing that I've uncovered throughout my life, that it wasn't really safe to share my truth. It wasn't really safe to share my feelings and emotions and experiences. So this is me just getting real and raw. Um, So that's just one note to say how powerful and how healing our story is and how powerful it is to claim your story and to tell your story, Um, even if it's just to a friend, even if it's just to someone else who is able to hear you and hold space for you and listen and receive your story. And hopefully when you share your story in the truest way possible, that is when your story resonates with others because we all understand that we are all more alike than different and what you've gone through another person has probably gone through maybe in a different situation or different circumstances, but that feeling is the same because we're all human and we all go through these things in life. So hopefully the more honest and the more truthful that I can be with you is the more that you can then have that reflect on yourself. So I think I say a lot in this podcast about, you know, how art and creativity is a mirror and how good art and true creativity is that mirror because you're allowing yourself to be so transparent that others are able to see themselves in you. And that, I think, is the greatest gift of all in art, to remind us that we're all in this together, to remind us that we are not alone, and to remind us that we can heal and we have that power. So without further ado, let's get into my story. So I was born December 21st, 1994, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, And I was born on a Wednesday. I was born on two days before the full moon, which full moon people, you know, you can kind of relate that to how the moon looked. So kind of this big energy, this wild energy, this bright energy at the full moon. And I already had so when I came into this world I came into this world to a mother and a father and I had five sisters or no sorry five siblings so I come from a family of eight I am number six out of eight so I have four older sisters one older brother and then one younger brother and one younger sister so when I was born I you know was fresh on this earth I had a sister who was only a year and a half older than me so she was about a year and a half then there was my brother who was three um and then my sister who was five and we're all kind of two years apart so I I was born into this group of people and I've asked my mom about my birth story and I and I would wish I knew more about my birth story um but when I asked her she said that you know it was kind of like all of the rest and it's like okay well what does that mean what does it mean to be like all of the rest you know 
and that and that kind of phrase of her saying, "Oh, you know, your birth was great." It's not something that she remembers specifically because, like I said, I'm number six out of eight, and this is nothing against my mother. Like, I mean, can you imagine birthing six out of eight? Of course, like it's all going to be a blur at that point. Um, so. That, but that feeling of like, my life is not specific to me. I'm kind of one of many. I am part of a group. I am not an individual. And I think most of my childhood, I was brought up in this way to not really honor my own individual unique needs and wants because I was always one of the group. And I didn't really have a say in what I was going to do or what we were going to do. You know, that was all determined by my mother, who is like this big matriarch of the family, um, who also immigrated from Russia in her 20s and, you know, is a for was it was an immigrant to this country. And I know uh, those of us who come from immigrant backgrounds, there is this cultural difference. Right. Um, which is also something funny for me. to. I'm recognizing that even for me saying that right now, I think for a long time, I denied the fact that I come from an immigrant household, that I come from you know, someone who was not from here, um, because I always felt like, oh, I'm American, um, I'm, a, I'm a white woman, um, and I didn't feel like I could claim that as part of my identity as someone who is not really from here, but come, you know, was raised by someone who grew up somewhere else. And there are a lot of cultural differences that kind of go on there. But so my mom, like I said, she immigrated from Russia in the 20s. Her and my dad met actually in Russia while my dad was studying abroad. He was studying music and she was studying music and they met in like the most romantic way possible, um, bonding over their love of music. And at the time my mom was already pregnant with her first child, my oldest sister, Yulia. And they met and fell in love and she moved to the United States with him and has been here ever since. So that was back in the 80s at the very end of the Cold War. So this is actually funny that I'm telling these details about how my parents met because it's something that I've I wanted to write my parents' story um, for a long time. And that's a project that's kind of on the back burner, but is something that's always I'm always kind of thinking about. So they met, they moved um, and they had eight children together um, before divorcing. When I was eight, they got divorced and my dad didn't live with us. And I haven't lived with my dad since then. I don't really have a relationship with my dad. Um, he's not, he's never really been a father figure to me. So basically I grew up in this family where music was super prevalent. When I was a child, my mom had a voice and, uh, voice and piano studio in our house. And that was the way that she was kind of able to stay home with eight kids because she worked from the home. We had students coming in and out of our, in and out of our house and playing piano and having voice lessons. So I grew up surrounded by sound and music. My house was never quiet. Um, between the screaming kids, between the music, between all of our different activities, our house was this like cacophony of noise and chaos. Um, and that's what it felt like. It felt like chaos. And so I think growing up in this environment, I am someone who is very, very sensitive, extremely sensitive. Someone who, oh, and I, I want to get, a, I'm almost like getting emotional thinking about this because I think that's something that I really hadn't put into words until now when I'm telling you this story is that 
that is something I've uncovered about myself, that I am extremely sensitive. I'm sensitive to noise. I'm sensitive to sounds. I'm sensitive to feelings and to the emotions of those around me. And because I'm an empath empath and this highly sensitive sponge, um, and I know a lot of you listening are, are as sensitive as I am. I think when you are so creative, you are really sensitive. Um, and that's like a gift, but it's also a lot for a sensitive being to be in that environment and to not be, to not have her needs really recognized and to not have any personal attention on her because she was just one of the group. So I grew up this like really, really sensitive kid. Um, I learned how to read when I was four, four years old. I learned how to read, which is insane to me. Like, I was just this like really deep, soulful, intuitive little girl and I wanted to learn and I wanted to know so many things about the world. I was so curious and so I would spend like hours in the library um, getting books. I would spend hours just reading. That was like kind of my escape from the chaos of, of being in that small environment filled with people, filled with other people's needs, filled with all this noise and all this, you know, comings and goings my way of escaping was by reading and i would read fantasy books and fiction books like i remember i read harry i read harry potter when i was 6 and then i read lord of the rings i think when i was also 6 or 7 and i would read like a, you know all these different fantasy books i remember i read these like american girl books about girls in different countries um i'll link that below in the show notes cuz those that was such a great series and i'm sure some of you maybe have read those too or I don't know, but it was like girls from different cultures. And I, and I, that was my way of escaping. That was my way of not being present with my reality because my reality was too much. It was too much for me as this sweet, sensitive little girl to handle. And so another, and, and I also had a lot of feelings as a child. Of course, we all have feelings. We're human beings, but there wasn't ever a safe place to express my emotions and feelings because in my family, there was so many people around all the time. It was like, you know, there was people upset all the time. You didn't get your feelings validated. You didn't, you know, have someone sit with you and really hear you and listen to you. It was kind of like, you know, if you have a feeling, just handle it on your own and, you know, get over it in a, in a sense. And, and it wasn't like my mom said that or anything, but it was more this feeling of like, there's no space for my emotions and my feelings. And so what I did is I internalized and repressed a lot of my emotions and my feelings. And I also found theater as a safe space to express some of those emotions and feelings. And this is a huge, huge one that I've uncovered because for so much of my life, theater was represented this like first love. I remember when I was in high school, I was having this like relationship with my best friend who told me he was in love with me and I was in love with him, but like he had a girlfriend and it was this messy situation. And I found out that he had slept, like he had lost his virginity to someone else. And I was this like 16 year old girl who, no, maybe I was like 17 or 18. I think I was 17. I didn't lose my virginity until college. But I remember I was really upset that he had lost his virginity and like I thought we were gonna lose our virginities to each other and how romantic would that be? But I had this moment when I was like, you know what? Like theater is my one true love. And I felt so, emotionally connected to theater like theater was my safe space it was my savior um and so 
And I, that's, that's how I always thought that I was, that like theater was my one true love, my North Star. When as I'm doing this inner work and uncovering some of those reasons, I'm uncovering that theater, what that theater was a safe place because the home wasn't. And in theater, I was allowed to express my emotions. I was given permission to express my emotions, whereas at home, I wasn't. And in realizing kind of all of this work and in doing all of this inner work and in uncovering the realities of what happened, I have had to go through a process of awareness, which, you know, at first when you're seeing your life in this way at first you know you don't know what you don't know right it's like that those levels of consciousness you don't know what you don't know and then you become aware of what you don't know and for me it was like i didn't know what i didn't know and then i started to uncover and unlock and kind of peel back those layers and look deeper inside myself and then when I had the awareness of, of, or the truth of what really happened, of what I had been kind of distracting myself from, avoiding myself from, just trying to avoid my own pain, when all that started to come up, I've had to grieve. That Those are the things that have come up. I've had to have the emotions that I was not allowed to have at that time. And so what I've been going through the past couple of months is this process of grieving and just so in my emotions, so sad, and allowing myself to feel that sadness, that pain, that fear, that anger, because I wasn't allowed to feel that back when I was young. And those feelings don't just go away. They're not just going to, you know, you don't think about them, oh, poof, they're gone. They're they're going to live in your body. And until you start to really do this work and uncover and allow yourself to feel, there's no other way out. You know, the only way out is through. So I'm, I'm still in this process, honestly, of grieving Um, my life. And so it's interesting now that I feel kind of ready to share this story with you because I really haven't been ready to talk about this stuff. I've been like so in it and I've really found myself go even more inward. And I think this has to do with me sharing lots on social media. I stopped writing my newsletter this year. I used to write a week, weekly newsletter, um, sharing all of my lessons and my learnings and my thoughts and my resources and recommendations and all of this stuff. And I've really had to pull back from all of that because I've been just feeling like the best thing that I can do for myself right now is just to listen and to be with myself and to allow myself that time and space to uncover. So basically, I would, um, yeah, so I found like theater and reading and creativity as ways to escape, as ways to express. And another thing about my childhood, um, you know, so, so it's like I grew up in this big family, not really able to have my own voice, not really able to be seen. There was a lot of really traumatic events that happened from ages like eight to 18. Um, that was a, t- a time period in my life that was really traumatic. So first of all, my parents getting divorced, which I didn't experience as traumatic at the time, um, realizing that I really did not grow up with with half of my parents. I grew up with a single mother and my father is alive. He is alive and well, um, but we don't have a relationship and he never wanted to have a relationship with me or I, I don't know, but like it's complex. Um, but we don't have a relationship. So I never had this like father figure. I never had this father to love me. So I think I grew up with this really like twisted false sense of love and not really realizing that that was the case. Um, And so like I said, when I was eight, 
Um, my parents got divorced and we were living in Pennsylvania at the time in the same house that I was born in. Um, my mom had most of her births at home, actually all of her births at home, but one, which was the first one she had at a hospital in Russia and was like, I'm not doing this ever again. So only had home births since then. But so, so yeah, my parents got divorced and we were living in Pennsylvania and then my mom kind of went through career shifts. Um, like I said, she had been working from the home as, you know, a music studio owner, but she started to shift careers and uh, started to work as a massage therapist, which she does now, but she ended up working a lot uh, from the home or away from the home. So she ended up working a lot away from the home. So I was honestly, you know, in this house where there wasn't a parental figure watching over us. We had older siblings watching over us. And kind of at that point, we were old enough where we could go to school and do our own thing. Um, but I didn't really have like that guidance. And I think that has what made me really independent, um, which you can totally see through the way that I solo travel. And I've solo traveled at this point all over the world. And I feel really comfortable alone. But what I've uncovered is that I feel uncomfortable I feel comfortable alone because that is my survival pattern. That is my uh, survival mechanism that that I feel comfortable alone because I was alone for so much of my childhood. I didn't have that parental support and guidance because my father was absent and because my mother had to work and support and provide for us as a family. So also um, something I want to get into, which is like extremely vulnerable for which is extremely vulnerable for me to share. But um, I was also, as a 12-year-old, um, I was sexually assaulted by a family member, by my older brother. And this happened twice, once when I was 12 and once when I was 16. And even as I'm, like, talking about it, I'm noticing this, like, pit of, like, shame and disgust in my belly and I think that's just something to really name um, because I know, unfortunately, many of us have uh, experienced sexual assault. And I denied it for so long. I, When it happened, I really shut down and pretended like it just didn't happen. And that was also one of my coping mechanisms of just shutting it out and pretending like it didn't exist. But of course, it still exists and has affected my life in many different ways, even if I don't want to believe that that's true. So I was sexually assaulted by my older brother, um, which also goes kind of deep into this Again, not, not having a father figure and not really kind of having this like twisted sense of male love and male attention. And so not having a father being sexually assaulted by my older brother who kind of stood in as that like older figure um, and just really feeling like there was no one to save me. There was no one to protect me. Um, there was no one to even care that this happened. Um, and of and of course, that's not true. But at the time, I did not tell anyone that this happened. I literally, I, I didn't share it with a single soul. Because again, my survival mechanism was just pretending like it didn't happen and nothing had happened and just allowing it to go away. Um, so that was obviously very traumatic. And then, so that would happen when I was 12. And then when I was 13, my family and I moved from Pennsylvania across the country and lived on an ashram for two years. 
So we moved from Pennsylvania to California. And like I said, my mom, you know, had been kind of absent from the home because she was working and she needed to find a way for us to be together again and for, for her to raise us. Um, and so we ended up moving to this ashram in California, Northern California. And an ashram is this like yogic spiritual place uh, where where people come to study and to do this deep inner work and to have this spiritual connection. But because, you know, my mom moved me and four of my younger siblings at that point, um, the rest of the four were old enough to be out of the home. Four of us moved. I was 13 and my other sister was 15. Then my younger brother would have been 12 and my youngest sister would have been uh, 10. So we all moved to this ashram and we were the only like children there. Uh, It was unusual for families to live there. Usually it was just like single people. Um, Very unusual for a family to live there. We were the only ones. And so I was suddenly then taken away from my environment that I had known, Pennsylvania, which was the place I'd grown up in. Like I mentioned, the house that I lived in was the same house that I was born in. That was all I had ever really known. And in Pennsylvania, I had a lot of really good friends. I had these best friends, um, these soul sister friendships, um, which one of them I just went and visited in Chicago, which is amazing that like all these years later, we still have that soul connection. So moved to California and it was really challenging because now we're these like kids, these teenagers in this ashram where they have really strict rules. They had rules on like what you could and couldn't wear. Um, you, you know, there's no like pork or meat or, you know, kind of like this, this yogic ashram. If you, what you imagine an ashram to be, that's what it was. But we were like a little different because we were school age and we were leaving the ashram to go to school and so we were kind of like living this in-between life where we were like one foot in society one foot in this like remote area in northern california like on this ashram um and so when i was at that uh, that ashram that was when i got introduced to yoga and hinduism and spiritual beliefs and karma karma yoga and all of these things i was being introduced to these practices and meditation as well we would have to go to like nightly satsangs where they would um do 30 minutes of silent meditation and then chanting. And so I was introduced to all of these things, but these things were not interesting to me at the time because I felt so resentful of the fact that I was taken out of my life and moved to this weird place where people were doing weird things. And on top of that, there were all these adults around that, you know, we were kind of like singled out as these children and made some friendships with these adults. And it was just like such a weird thing that I think no... 14 year old should have to go through. And um, so yeah, I was like figuring out school. And so what I did, my kind of survival mechanism was to really just focus on school. And so I ended up like doing so much homework all the time. I was doing so many extracurriculars. Um, So my survival pattern was really to like just overload my plate and overload all these things on me. So I didn't have to think about the fact that, you know, my reality sucked and I wasn't happy with my reality, um, wasn't totally present with my reality. So I ended up going to high school and was involved in like seven different clubs, um, took like all the AP classes that I could, was the president of my Spanish club. I was... um, like doing theater extracurriculars, was always like involved in a show, was also just like doing homework all the time. I also had a part-time job where I worked like 30 hours a week, 
which is crazy that I worked and did homework, but like basically I got into this pattern of just achieving and doing the most and filling up my schedule to the point where I didn't have any alone time or any um, like downtime just was constantly go, go, going. And that was where I felt really comfortable. I thrived when I felt busy because I was distracting myself from the truth. So I was really involved in high school and, um, when I was a senior in high school, my brother, the same brother who sexually assaulted me, um, he started to exhibit signs of a serious mental illness. And at the time, my family and I did not know even really what a mental illness was, right? Like we we didn't know, we had no education around it. Um, you know, it's such so stigmatized in society that there's no real examples of mental illnesses. And so what ended up uncovering over my like junior and senior year of high school is that my brother um, was both schizophrenic and bipolar. And I lived with him while he was kind of making that transition. Um, because uh, because what, what I know about schizophrenia um, is that it can kind of onset in your early to mid 20s and you can start to exhibit these signs um, and I don't really even want to go too in depth to what those signs were, just out of respect for him. Um, but he was exhibiting signs of, of his mental illness, schizophrenia and bipolar. And my siblings and I, my younger siblings and I had to be there through that and see that. And at the time, my mom was working away from the home, doing massage therapy. And so she wasn't home that often. We were kind of home alone with this person that wasn't dangerous, so to say, but you know, it wasn't safe to be at home with him. It wasn't safe to be at home with your mentally ill brother who had also sexually assaulted you. And even saying those words, it's so crazy to me that's like, yeah, duh, um, duh. That's like, you know, if I had seen someone else in that situation, I would have felt so much compassion for them but it's funny that even for myself to claim that that's part of my story it's like I had this voice in me of like well it wasn't that bad and like you know don't feel bad for me it wasn't that bad and I well I don't want you to feel bad for me because I you know I'm only sharing this because I'm at a place now where I can share it and I'm not you know seeking help or support it's more to just share my story but even as I'm like saying that, it, it I, I noticed those feelings arise where I wasn't really allowed to even express how bad it was um, because I was in a survival um, pattern. So that happened. <laughs> and then I, so that was like a whole saga throughout my, throughout my senior year of high school. And like my brother had gotten arrested a couple times and it was a small town. And, you know, I remember he was in the newspaper at one point and it was like so embarrassing because I was like, you know, what if people at school are going to recognize that like this is my brother? And like it was just so embarrassing, honestly, to kind of even be associated with him. Um, and eventually he was in and out of mental hospitals, but the mental institutions in our country is so fucked up. And just the stigmatization of mental illness is so fucked up that he really you know, couldn't really get the help that he needed. And he, we tried everything we could, but he is currently incarcerated and has been for the last several years. And it's kind of like, that's where it's at right now. Um, so that's, that's what it is. And the incarceration has nothing to do with the sexual assault that occurred between, um, me and him. Um, it has to do for other reasons, but that's just like another 
thing. So basically I went, so after I graduated high school and like I graduated high school as a valedictorian, um, I had a 4.3 GPA. I had all of these extracurriculars. I had won all these scholarships for being the person in my school with the highest GPA and also the most financial need. So I won like a major scholarship because I had been in that situation of having not only the highest GPA, but also the most financial need, which I recognize is such a privilege. Like, yeah, it's, it was a blessing. Um, but yeah, because I come from, you know, a family of so many kids and that's kind of how it was. So I ended up going to college for theater, which again, theater was like my one true love and kind of played out this same pattern in college where I was taking so many classes because I wanted to learn. I was hungry to learn. I was curious to learn. And I was finally in a place where I could study what I loved. And I was in a place that I loved. I was in Orange County, which has the most beautiful beaches in the world. And if you know me, you know that beautiful beaches are important to me as a mermaid. Um, my Instagram handle used to be the modern mermaid for those of you OG followers, then, you know, not even followers, OG listeners or OG friends. Um, then, you know, I used to be the modern murder, the modern mermaid, but now I am just my name. Um, but in college, I kind of played out that same pattern of just really, um, like looking outside of myself, seeking external validation and approval, trying to be so busy and doing all these things so that I didn't really have time to face the truth of what's going on um, and kind of play that out until I graduated. And once I graduated, I suddenly, okay, so now I'm naming that I got really hungry and I feel kind of like I want to stop here. Which maybe I will, because maybe like the period from college, from graduating college to now, I think is the journey that I've, the evolution that I've been on. Um, and I almost don't want to get into that now because that's more like part two. So we'll do a part two. But so part one is kind of like from birth to age 22 to graduating college. And so I guess some of the patterns that I've really uncovered in myself is that I realized that my definition of love was really um, twisted in a way because I didn't really know what love was because although love was very expressed in my family and we're all very like physically close um, and, and show a lot of physical affection and physical expressions of love, there wasn't that like deep paying attention to. And something I've uncovered throughout this past year is that my definition of love is to be paid attention to. For someone to really care for you, they have to pay attention. They have to see the details. And I know that this was a pattern that always came up in my relationships, in my friendships, where I felt like no one really saw me and no one really understood me or no one really got me. And the version that I was giving to them was kind of this like falsified version of myself, but it wasn't safe to truly let them see me. So something that I've been healing throughout this work is to really cultivate deeper, more intimate relationships and friendships so that people can really see me and I can be vulnerable in front of them. And instead of you know, me never asking for help because I was kind of taught to not ask for help to really kind of allow myself to be helped, allow myself to be seen. So love is 
paying, being paid attention to. And something I discovered is that writing is my act of love because writing is a, a practice that allows you to pay attention to something, to really care about it enough to see it and to notice the details and to write about it. Um, so writing, it can be the highest expression of love for me right now. Another pattern that I uncovered is this escapist avoidance pattern. And this has been really interesting to dive into as uh, what has been mirrored in my life is kind of this coming home and creating a home, but not really having, you know, not believing that home is a safe place. So something that I've discovered is that home doesn't feel safe because home wasn't safe. And so I always had a fear of settling down, of living in one place, of, you know, being stuck at home or being stuck in a relationship or being stuck uh, as a mother. And so something I've been really uncovering and unraveling is that that feeling is because home wasn't safe. And so now as I find myself in this situation where I've just been engaged, I have a home now, my first home ever. I literally up until this point, age 27, had not had a home before. This is my first real home that I am making mine because that was a, a, a loop that was playing constantly, that nothing belongs to me, nothing belongs to me. And I was seeing that play out in my life and the way that I you know, didn't hold on to any belongings. I was constantly going to travel and going all over the world and traveling with just a backpack. Um, but I've had to since moving to Michigan, especially in cultivating this home, has really been to connect with that deeper feeling that home can be safe and rewiring some of those patterns, which has been an interesting journey, uh, especially because I'm in such an insular place where there isn't any external distractions. There is just me and my truth. And while that's beautiful, it's also can be really confronting and really hard to face yourself. So those are some of the things that I've been working on lately, especially regarding to escaping and distracting um, versus coming home and coming back home to myself and coming back home to the present moment and just the myriad of ways that we can distract ourselves from the present moment and not having any judge or shame around judgment or shame around that, but really having compassion and holding my holding space for compassion for myself. So I realized that in the past like year or so, I've really pulled back on my business and for sharing and for holding space for others because I'm really at a place where I need to hold space for myself first and foremost. So that was a lot. Um, I definitely feel like there needs to be a part two to this conversation. And I know that I've shared some intimate, deep things about me that you know most of my friends don't even know about me, especially in regards to my sexual assault. Um, so I just want to say, like, if you're listening and that has happened to you, I am so sorry. And you are beautiful and you are so loved and you're not alone. And even for me to kind of claim that as part of my story feels so interesting because I denied that part of myself for so long. I denied that feeling of being a victim, of having suffered something bad. I always had this kind of false positivity, this false spin on things to always look at life on the bright side of things and glass half full kind of person and just this like overly optimistic, happy person. But I realized that that is a survival mechanism and 
something I've learned and has been really hard to come to terms with is that life is both. We cannot have one without the other. Um, so there has to be pain with happiness. And so that has been really hard for me to face because I want life to be magical. I want life to feel so blessed and amazing. And it can, and also it can be painful and hard and sad and grief stricken and all of those things. So that's been the phase that I'm in now, really sitting with my grief over the reality of my life. And that is something that I'm still working through. I'm like feeling emotion come up now because it it's a lot. <laughs> so some of the ways that I have been self-soothing throughout this journey, throughout this process is taking baths. Oh, oh my gosh. Taking baths have been like a life changer for me. And there's so many things I want to say about baths and the spiritual practice of taking a bath. But that has been really beautiful for me, taking baths, taking walks, uh, calling friends, talking to people, connecting with people, sharing, um, nourishing my body, cooking, really spending a lot more time cooking these days and being more mindful of what I'm putting into my body. And just being gentle with myself, not like, you know, knowing that I don't have to have it all figured out, knowing that I'm allowed to take my time to process, that I don't need to push out all the things and do all the things, um, which has been really hard because I think achieving and go, go, going and producing and kind of not looking at this work is what is celebrated in society. You know, I see my friends who have just made their Broadway debuts and who are working towards their dreams and doing all these things. And I feel like I've suddenly taken a backseat from all of that and from going and doing and achieving and achieving my dreams because I'm being called to really go into this work and heal. And it's challenging for me to do that because I always want to give and share and do, but I can't right now. And so I have to honor that. Um, one book that I've been thinking about recently is The Velveteen Rabbit because in the, in the story of The Velveteen Rabbit, the rabbit goes through a process of figuring out what is real and figuring out what is true. And I think that's the journey that I'm on, really uncovering what is real, what is true, what is just a story in my mind, what is not real, and coming back to that truth, which is coming back home and allowing home to be a safe place. Mm, so thank you so much for listening, for receiving my story. I learned a couple things in sharing my story, and that's why sharing our stories are so healing. Um, and I hope that this can be a healing moment for you to kind of reflect on your story and perhaps share your story, whether that's Perhaps share your story, whether that's writing it. Writing is a beautiful way to uncover and process. And also just telling a friend and having someone be there for you and really see you because we all deserve that. So I love you all so, so, so much. Stay tuned for part two. Maybe we can get into some more of the nitty gritty details and a little bit more about this journey that I've been on since graduating college, which has been really a reckoning and of a coming home. So I love you all so much and thank you. Let me know if something resonated and can't wait to be back with you next week. <laughs>